Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Welcome to Make It Clear. My name is Stan Pons, and I'm your host, along with being president of Florida Bible College. And I am so glad that you all could be with us today. You know that generally I teach the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and sometimes even word by word. But occasionally I set that aside so that I can make you aware of people that are out there in ministry today doing godly things to the glory of the Lord. And today I am so honored to have with us people that I know that have had a great inspiration in the lives of others. And this would be Keith Getty. He and his wife have been involved in worship music across the country and in other countries as well. And so I want to welcome to our program today, particularly Keith Getty. Welcome to our program, Keith. Thrilled to be here. Thanks so much for the invitation. Well, some of our folks that uh, know about you, they're excited to know that we would have this opportunity to interview you, and we will have some opportunities to learn a little bit more about your take on Christian music today. But for those who don't know who you are, why don't you tell us, Keith, uh, how did you come to know Christ, and then how did you really sense that God was bringing you into the world of worship and helping the church at large worship God in spirit and in truth? Well, one of my heroes, and I presume it's for you too, was, of course, the, the, the courage and the vision of, of Martin Luther. But one of the things, Luther himself was a music minister, and he believed that as we look at the, at the Old Testament and the New Testament and the history of the church throughout all the church fathers up to that point, he said it seems that God's people learn their faith significantly in what they sing. His, his, his illustration was that the teachers would teach and explain what the words in the page meant, and you would carry it out of church by singing the, the songs. That seemed the model as he looked throughout Christian history. And in our generation, there's lots of people teaching the Bible. There are very few people writing songs that help the Bible go really deep into our souls and our memories and our imaginations and our hearts and our prayers and our lives. Well, it's exciting to know that. Yesterday, I was preaching on the whole concept of singing and how the Levites were singing. And so you almost see those that are in Christian leadership were those that were the ones trained in leading music and helping their people to understand music from a biblical point of view. Glad to hear that. But what kind of brought you and your wife together and now doing what you're doing? Well, I think it was, I mean, obviously I was brought up in a Christian home. My dad was a church organist. My mom was a piano teacher. So, so that kind of just naturally brought me into music. And, you know, music is a wonderful thing. If you've children, it's so important. Or even if you're a leader, it's so important to remember the persuasive power that music has to, as an opportunity to bring children, you know, into, into Christian church life, into, into perhaps children's choirs, but around older Christian models. But also if we don't have that, we have to also acknowledge that the, the persuasive power of music will take our children somewhere else. So I'm very thankful for that in my life. So, so incredibly grateful. Kristen and I met her uncle, who some of you will know, John Lennox, the Oxford um, professor, the apologist, mm-hmm. who's in the debates with Richard Dawkins. He helped me a lot with faith and then introduced me to his niece, Kristen. And so really, I was I was captivated by her from the first day I met her, although it took her a couple of years to realize that that I was more than just some kind of, you know, you know, stuffy, 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 conservative older guy who was too opinionated. And so eventually, <laughs> eventually we got together and got married. And within six months of getting married, we pretty much quit the music industry, which is where I earned my living. I pretty much committed the rest of our lives to being hymn writers and really ambassadors for doctrinal hymns around the world. And that's, that's how we live our lives now. We write, we write hymns for the church. We publish a number of other brilliant young writers that write church. And then we're sort of the heads of a whole 
group of different ideas and projects to really help um, the 21st century church um, around the world um, perhaps become deeper through, through, through singing deep songs about the Lord and his word. That's very wonderful. You know, you have to have the musical ability to, to really be able to hear sounds and melody and then be able to put them down so that other people can pick them up, whether it's more in a technical way or just hearing it. And then you have to write the words that flow so well that really says what needs to be said. But at the foundation of all of that is a heart turned toward the Lord built upon a biblical foundation. Well, your music is very unique, Keith. It's unique because it's present-day hymns and sacred music that we often would think would be way back, 100, 200, 300 years ago, but you're bringing it back into the church today, and you're helping us to really see this. So your music is very unique, but here's my question. Where did you get your biblical foundation so that when you do write, that it would be in agreement with the Spirit, agreement with the Word of God, so that God would get all the glory from it? Well, how did you get your biblical basis, not just your musical background, but your doctrinal uh, set? Well, again, you know, as I said at the start, you know, throughout the history of the church, singing has been a core part of how we learn our faith. The Psalms is the is the largest book in the Bible. Twenty percent of the Bible is actually songs. So it's obvious that God intends to communicate truth through songs. It's not something that we just do because we're somehow backslidden or anything like that. But it's how God wants to to do things. And as and as I went, as I, I looked at my church, I looked at my heroes, church fathers from Augustine to Patrick to St. Francis of Assisi, uh, all, all the way through to all the way through to uh, Martin Luther and all the great reformers who are my heroes. If you, if you take Calvin and Edwards and Knox, and then you take even the revivalists, you take you take Charles Wesley, you take uh, Whitfield, you take and go on and take Watts, you take you, you take great great American great leaders of the last 150 years from from Spurgeon to Martin Lloyd-Jones to uh, Dwight Moody here. All of these guys created their own hymn books because they felt, I have to love my people enough to help determine the songs that they will sing throughout their life and they will sing that they'll grow old with. And what what shocks me and stuns me is that modern pastors who talk so much about being theologically sound don't love their congregations enough to think of the 50 or 100 or 150 songs that they want their congregation to grow old with. And it is so important that whether we're a pastor or even whether we're a father in a home, as I am to four young girls, that we're thinking, what are the songs we want these people to grow old with? What are the songs when they leave home, when they circumstance change, when they hit suffering, when they hit death, what are the things that are going to, that are going to sustain them? Um, so, 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 so it's a subject of huge importance and, and of critical importance. We live at this moment in history where the West, Christianity is struggling, and in the majority world, Christianity is growing, but it's a very young Christianity and, and needs both depth of, depth of faith and depth of leadership. And so it's an absolutely critical time in the next, in the next 20 to 30 years to, uh, to really help build deep believers around the world through what we sing. So in about a paragraph, what would you say that you see missing and needed in Christian music today? Not so much in the church. We'll talk about that in a moment, but just in Christian music today, what's missing? What's needed to be put? I don't, I don't really, I don't really listen to much Christian music, to be honest. I, I mean, I love, I love hymns. I love the, the hymns that we sing in church. And then I love beautiful music. You know, I don't, I personally don't really listen to Christian music. So I'm probably the wrong person to ask. <laughs> Well, that's all right. I, I want frankness and honesty, and that's what we're getting. Yeah. So what do you think yeah. they do to provide healthy Christian music? What, where would they begin? What should they do? Uh, well, I think, I mean, I think, I mean, you, you, you can answer this probably almost as well as I can, I'm sure. And that I think what we want, 
want great hymns that are beautiful and deep about the Lord. Do you know what I mean? I think that's the thing. You know, we, you know, ultimately there's a strong argument. Someone has said that we are what we sing. Do you know what I mean? And so if we, if we have congregations of people who sing shallow songs for three years, we are to a significant degree only building shallow Christians who will be Christians for three years. I am 43. I live in the generation that, that did youth work better than the previous generation. You know, the, the Beatles generation, there was such a huge loss with teenagers. I was the generation after that where they did much better at youth work, but, but so much of it was built around the, the Christian music culture. And uh, that was, you know, that was creating simple songs about, about positive ideas about, that were largely about how God affects us. Mm-hmm. And so the problem is when life didn't go the way I wanted it, or when I found a better way in life to become more, when I became very successful or very unsuccessful, or, or my circumstances changed, or I want to make a different decision, or I listen to the popular media who say that Christianity is just simple answers to difficult questions, then I looked at the worship songs I was singing and they just confirmed that for me. Do you know what I mean? Whereas the Psalms aren't simplistic answers to difficult questions. They are beautiful, beautiful poetic canvases which, in which we get, little, we, get, we get majestic pictures of the glory of God. And it is so bigger than us and so much more profound and so deep and often so difficult um, that actually that should be what's forming our mind. So to give you the one paragraph, it's beautiful songs about the Lord that are beautiful to sing. Some of my conservative friends make the mistake of saying it's, it's doctrinal songs that are Singable. That's okay, but you have to understand that singable means wonderful to sing. Singable means I can't wait to sing this tune. Singable means I can't get this tune out of my head. Singable means every time I see these words for the rest of my life will trigger that tune, and suddenly I'll think about all the words and remember it. You know, there's a reason why in a church people sing okay, then they get to sing holy, 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 or how great thou art, or, or perhaps in Christ or something else. But you know, they sing a really good song, and suddenly everyone sings louder. You know what I mean? Whether you've just got not a tune piano or no music at all or a band or a big mega church where they've spent hundreds of thousands on their production, it's still the same principle. Once you sing a great song, everybody sings. So we want to think of the songs that are wonderful to sing, but that also are deep and rich about the Lord. And tell us, the Psalms do this wonderful job, as I said, of, of portraying a whole broad picture of the God of the Bible. You know, in one Psalm, he's majestic. You know, in the next psalm, he's holy. In the next psalm, he's distanced from us. In the next psalm, he is longing to forgive. And so we get this wonderful picture, which helps us build a complete understanding of the God of the Bible. That's absolutely fantastic. Now, that's that's the goal. That's where we want to be. But let's say that a person is listening to the program right now. He's a pastor or he's a worship leader, whether he's a lay person doing this or not. He wants to get there, but he doesn't know how to get there because he's inherited this mess that's going on. And they realize they have to revamp their worship. So what would be the practical steps? A new pastor comes in, he wants to now strengthen his music to make it more biblical, the very thing that you're talking about. What's his first, second, third, fourth, fifth step? Speak to that to help turn around the music emphasis at their church and put it in the right direction. What would you suggest they do? I would begin by remembering that nothing is done without that with without love and so we're doing this we, we, we want people to sing great songs about the Lord not because of our musical style or because we're a theological snob but we're doing it because we love them enough that we want to build deep believers so it has to be that understanding and I would I would actually begin when I talk to pastors I mean people say to me Where, where's the best singing as an aside by the way and I always say the churches where the pastor 
leads. It doesn't matter the denomination. It doesn't matter the socioeconomic breakdown. It doesn't matter the amount of money that's spent on music in the church. If the pastor cares about his congregation singing, that always is the number one common denominator. So I think the pastor teaching his congregations why it's important to sing, teaching why songs are great, of what makes a great song. And so it's important because singing is a spiritual activity. It is the second most common command in Scripture. And if you put in all the extols and praise and exalts and add all those into it, it's the most common command in Scripture. So it's hugely important, and it's spiritual activity. It needs to be taught. And most conservative churches I go to, the pastor has not done a series on why we sing. So we need to teach it. And then once we've taught it, we need to keep each week modeling it, being enthusiastic for it, and uh, explaining to people why we do it. I think the second thing we do is we sing great songs. Now, if you've got a church that is a mess, either it's a mess because they only sing very old songs, are they only singing very new songs? Then we have to remember that they're not actually sinning, singing those songs. It's not a sin, but we want to make it better. So correction and habitual correction and habitual correction that involves physical activity of any kind always happens gradually over time. You know, I mean, it's like like getting fit or losing weight or anything else. So my suggestion would be is if you're a smart man, you will know that within five years, you can get your congregation singing 60 hymns that they can grow old with. But perhaps in the first year, we just pick four or six and teach those four or six, you know, take one at a time and gradually just build those in. And then the next year you can move to eight, the next year to 10, the next year to 12, the next year to 16. And then suddenly you've got a congregation who actually know more about the basics of the faith, but the hymns have memorized than a lot of pastors coming out of certain seminaries right now. So I would begin gradually, teach them one and get and, and, and use their, work out the love language. So if the love language of your congregation, for example, is contemporary Christian music, find a contemporary Christian artist or some artist who's recorded it. If the love language is they love the choir in the church, make sure the choir sing it well. If the love language is, is there a very thoughtful church, then send the lyrics a week in advance and say, I want you to use this as part of your quiet time each day. So what you get to understand why these are so beautiful and why they're so important and why they add to our, our spiritual prayer vocabulary, you know? So that's what I would do next. Then thirdly, and so teach why, choose great songs and introduce them in, a, in an intelligent way using your church's love language. Number three, I would then work with, your, work with your music team, love your music team. If your musical leader will not honor you and does not want to serve you, you need to find a different person because all you're doing is postponing is postponing what's going to be an explosion. Um, but find a music team, uh, uh, starting with the leader, and uh, and pour into those people. Uh, musicians and creative people are wonderful. They tend to be a little odd sometimes, a little insecure sometimes. But pour into them and build a wonderful partnership. It doesn't matter whether you're Billy Graham, whether you're John Wesley, whether you're John Calvin, whether you're Martin Luther. All of those guys were successful at this because of the relationship they had with their close music guy. So you, you build into those people and encourage them and help them each Sunday, each Monday when you meet together or each Sunday when you talk about the service. The question we ask is not, did they get through? The question we ask is not, did the people love it? The question we ask is, how did the people sing? Not how did we perform, how did the people sing? And so you build this culture that the end goal to all of our artistry and all of our musicianship is to help God's people sing. Because that's 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 the business of eternity, and so I would I would begin with those three things, and then fourthly, just just continuing it with the congregation every Sunday, getting them excited about singing, and finding ways to, to build a congregational culture that, in the same way as having church and being church, is a representative of God's body on earth. So singing to each other, to remind each other, to encourage each other, to rebuke each other, whatever it is, so singing to one another is part of loving each other. 
So I don't know. I hope that's a start. No, that has been very, very helpful. It shows that you really wrapped your arms of love around these people. And yet you have a, a goal in mind and, and how to get there in a gracious way, because we want people not to get off the wagon. We want them to get on the wagon, but go in the right direction. You're listening to Make It Clear. My name is Stan Punge, your host, president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Our guest today is Keith Getty. And I really encourage you to go to their website and really hear what they have to say. But we're talking right now about godly Christian music that really scratches the soul and inspires the spirit to be able to sing unto the Lord what's in their heart. And now you've given us some great things we can do to strengthen our worship, as well as our worship leadership in the church, starting with the pastors and then those that would be facilitating the worship. But one of the things that you offer is the Getty Music Worship Conference. And uh, so my question would be, would it be helpful for those people that are wanting to strengthen their music in the church to attend this, not just to be inspired, not only to be informed, but to be transformed. Would this be the kind of event that they would want to go to? Well, that's obviously why we did. So we think that you might want to ask somebody else's advice just to get an unbiased opinion. (laughs) That's certainly, you've just articulated why we do it. If you want to work out, if if somebody, you know, definitely get opinions other than ours, but but that is certainly why we do it. And uh, and next year's one is basically walking through the life of Christ and how we sing that. And we're very excited about it. And it's in the 19th and 21st of August. So what we're encouraging people to do is come along. Well, what's, even better than coming along is having the pastor and the music guy coming together. Or what's even better again is we've created loads of ridiculous uh, group discounts so that you can actually bring your team, bring 400. And let's actually spend three days at the Opryland Hotel, you know, going to concerts at the Grand Ole Opry at nighttime um, and, and, and enjoying wonderful singing, going to seminars. There's, there's seminars on creative, on, on musical artistry. There's also seminars on how to get your family and your church singing. There's also seminars on theology. And, you know, hear these wonderful speakers and uh, enjoy some music, enjoy time away. It's a beautiful place. Unless they just begin to think about the year, prepare, use this time to prepare the year. And so that's, that, so I would really recommend that for sure. It, the first day in the life of Christ, the first day is all incarnational. The second day is all redemptional. And then the third day is great commission and, and Christ's return. And looking at how we sing those things. And uh, the Tuesday night is, 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 is a wonderful night. We're actually going, taking everybody downtown on the Tuesday night to the Bridgeton Arena. And that night we're having a thing on the resurrection. So our band are leading that with an orchestra and a, a mass choir of, I think, 2,000. There's be 15,000 people in for that night. And we have Johnny Erickson Tata talking about what resurrection will mean to her and John Piper preaching. So it's going to be a powerful, powerful night. We'd sure recommend anyone to come along and be part of that. And we also do a little sort of a miniature thing. Uh, we do, we do the, the Sing National City Tour for four weeks a year. And then in the Christmas season, we do, we do Sing an Irish Christmas for four weeks where we really present the gospel through the Christmas show in, in concert halls. And uh, we'd love to see you if you were ever free to come along. And dear ones, if you'd like to know more about Keith and Kristen Getty and their music and what they have to offer through their tours, conferences, hymns, the projects, things that you can do to strengthen your own personal worship with the Lord, but also your family and those with whom you worship with on Sunday, let me encourage you to go to their website. Their primary website would be just simple, gettymusic.com. That's G-E-T-T-Y music 
getimusic.com, getimusic.com. And when you go there, just kind of surf through that website and you're going to find out more about this very special Sing conference that's in, in August of 2019. Now, I know for some of us, that seems like a million years away. But you know, if you start planning now that you'll be so prepared for it that when you come, you'll even get more out of it if you do go to that event. We just have a few more minutes left and I don't want to take up all of your time, but I have another question to ask you. When Bible colleges are putting together their worship curriculum to train worship pastors, what do you think they ought to have in that curriculum to adequately train the next generation worship leaders today in making sure that they are really keeping the music biblically based, but also experientially worship so that God gets all the glory? In our conference, we've tried to emphasize three things. We've tried to emphasize deep um, but vibrant theology, theology that connects truth to, to humanity and life. Secondly, We've tried to emphasize the importance of both families and churches singing and basic tools to help us help us get our families singing well during the week and to sing well as churches on a Sunday. And then thirdly, we have the thing called um, basically we're built around artistry, art, artistic excellence, whether as a poet, as a storyteller, as a musician, so as a singer, as a choir director, as a composer and songwriter, to really encourage artistry and to encourage us to play and play skillfully because it is important that we play skillfully and uh, and do it as well as we can uh, as honor to the Lord. Um, so we really anything that combines those three things is, is good. There's a tendency in most groups to emphasize one, not the other. So that would be our kind of, I guess, short advice. I think that's great advice because really today you, you bring to, to church with you, essentially, your Bible and a hymn book. You know, and you bring them both. Now, I know that we lift up the preaching of the word, and that's very, very valuable. When it talks about speaking to one another in hymns and psalms and spiritual songs and that, you know, I think about the word speaking just basically means to communicate, you know, whether it's through word or psalm, but it's the idea of taking the truths of the word of God and then bringing that to those that are around you. And of course, if the world comes, they're going to see that, but they can't fully understand it until they come to faith alone in Jesus Christ. So, Bible colleges do need to train their students especially those that are going to be going in the pulpit and worship area in solid Bible doctrine and systematic theology to really know what they believe, but also why they believe what they believe, but then how to express that. And I like the word that you use skillfully, because that's what scripture uses to define what David did when he played. He played his instrument skillfully, and it had quite the profound effect upon Saul when he did. So all of that together, then how to present yourself as a person of great character is so important. And I'm so glad for Florida Bible College, because we really honor that whole section of worship, that that becomes one of our majors. We only have seven majors, and all of the majors come with a major in Bible first, so they get a double major. So I appreciate that. Now, we have just another moment left, and I'm going to ask you now a question about where you're sensing the Lord may be taking the Gettys in the future. What do you sense is maybe the future laid out in front of you and your wife as you move forward in worshiping the Lord and leading others to do the same? Well, I, I, gosh, in one sense, I really don't know. I'm thankful for today, and I don't presume in tomorrow for sure. Um, so please never, please never think, please never think I'm presumptuous in that way. Um, I think we're most excited um, just about, I mean, honestly, about you know living each day and growing, growing in the Lord, and, and as a, as a with Kristen and my four beautiful daughters. Eight years ago, we thought we couldn't have children, and now we've got four daughters. We're so thankful for that. And so that you know, a lot of life is carried up with that. But in, in terms of the music. 
since the same conference started, there's definitely been a strong transition where our organization was really taking our hymns and then looking at how, you know, concerts and, and products and different things could really help build a ministry of hymns through our work. And since Sing started, we now, the company is now an organization of many, uh, of, of several writers, of almost, almost 10 writers who all write hymns. And so really what the organization has become is something that's much bigger than us and, and God willing, something that will continue to grow long after we die. And so our goal is to, over the next few years, is to build songs with a team of writers, I think to educate better and also to become, to become much more global in, in, in our vision. So I think that are probably the three things that I'm most excited about right now. And I join you in your excitement, Keith. I really do. And I'm so honored to have you with us today on Make It Clear. And again, for those that are just tuning in, I'd encourage you to go to gettymusic.com and just take your time carefully going through their website and then especially obtaining the music that they have there. Pick out an album. Pick out something that you really sense that will resonate with you. Order it, get it, listen to it, and worship the Lord. And get to know the Gettys even more. I encourage you also to go to the particular website that talks about their Sing Conference this summer in August 2019 in the Nashville area. So that's gettymusic.com. Those of you also, this is uh, Stan Pons with Florida Bible College. If you'd like to know more about a sound Bible college preparing men and women for ministry, then I'd encourage you to go to floridabiblecollege.com. That's floridabiblecollege.com. Keith, thank you so much for being with us. And you just know that you have our support and our encouragement as you move forward for the glory of the Lord. Stan, it's been an absolute honor. Thank you. Thank you for the encouragement you've been to us today. And um, I hope I hope Florida Bible College continues to prosper. And uh, we look forward to an opportunity to meet you all soon. God bless you now. Good day, everyone. Until next time, this is Stan Pons with Make It Clear. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.